Hi, I'm Lesha Holzaffel, and you're listening to the Fit Mom Squad podcast, a podcast for moms who are ready to lose the weight they want without gaining it back by learning the holistic approach to nutrition and how our brains determine our long-term success. Welcome to the Fit Mom Squad. Today on the show, we have Allie Miller. Welcome to the Fit Mom Squad podcast, Allie. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Really excited to have you on. I really want to talk about something that I've been wanting to get someone to talk about, which is healthy kids and how to get your kids to eat healthy. And I feel like you're very good at this. I watch your <laughs> stories like, how does she do it? And I'm sure a lot of moms have the same question. Before we get started, can you introduce yourself to those that maybe don't know who you are, what you do, who you help, kind of your journey? Sure. So I am a registered dietitian, um, but what is unique about my background is that I went to a naturopathic college of medicine. So I practice both a kind of bridge of allopathic conventional model of medicine paired with a functional integrative naturopathic approach. And I work with children through adults. Um, I predominantly work a lot with women's hormones. I have a four-year-old myself, and I put out my second book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet, when my daughter was six months old. And the uh, book on its heels, The Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook, just last fall. And those are some big passion projects of mine because when I approach with functional medicine, I'm always addressing the root cause of like why a symptom is occurring in the body. It could be fatigue, it could be hair loss, it could be depression, it could be insomnia, weight gain, you name it. Um, but I really believe that we're not this easy calculation, we're these complex chemistry equations, if you will. So I'm always trying to understand, you know, is there a hormonal or an inflammatory impact? Is there a microbiome gut bacteria influence? Is there a nutrient deficiency? And really kind of seeking as a detective of the body with each patient that I work with. And the anti-anxiety diet basically takes the concept that the body right now, or most people in today's uh, space, and I would say especially with light of current uh, pace of pandemic, uh, we're all in this survival fight or flight mode. And we are in this chronic stress reactive mode, and we're not honoring the regulatory function of the body. And so, you know, back in the day with school, we learned fight or flight and rest and digest. But it's so much more than that. In our sympathetic fight or flight mode, we can have disruptions in blood sugar metabolism, we can have panic attack, we can have issues with concentration and focus, irritability. But if we're not honoring the regulatory parasympathetic, what was called rest and digest mode, then we're hindering our thyroid, we're hindering our metabolism, we're hindering the part of our brain, the pituitary that regulates our sex hormone. And, and, and there's so much regulation that goes on when the body feels safe. And so my whole approach with a lot of my work is getting people to understand how stress is influencing their body and to get back into a space where their body feels safe to optimize metabolic, hormone, microbiome, and inflammatory health. Yeah, I think that's so important to look at the whole picture because we're so, in our society, 
we've just so been taught like you have this problem you go to the doctor he gives you this pill a pill for an ill you know and you just mask the symptoms but you're not really getting down to the root cause of what is really going on what is your body trying to tell you through those symptoms right um, right or or it gets so dissociative because then you get referred to a um you know specialist who only focuses on that one part of the body and doesn't speak to the whole body and so that can also create a lot of undesired side effects for medications and then we go into medication masking and a whole perpetuating cycle yeah it's really sad that that's how it works and that's where functional medicine comes into play because it just looks to the whole thing the body is like a whole unit and what's really going on instead of just like focusing on one little thing. I read your book. I absolutely loved it. Um, there's so many things we could talk about. And I wanted to have you on the show to talk about the healthy kids way before the pandemic. And now there's so many other things like I'm sure we could talk forever on it. What I really want to talk about is healthy kids, especially now. I think it's more important than ever to have our kids be healthy and, and, and have a strong immune system and try to, and like with all the masks and all the thing, like we can go down the rabbit hole. It just drives me crazy. But I want to talk about your journey with your daughter, Stella, mm -hmm. and how you first started. How do you navigate through that? And how did you establish the way of eating that she has now? If you can talk about what her way of eating is, how sure. you started along that journey. Sure. So Stella's, I guess, health um, really goes back to, you know, in utero when I was carrying her. Um, and I had planned on doing a natural home birth, a water birth. And she was actually um, a total frank breach, but my uterus had engulfed the, her head and was actually engulfed around her neck. So we had to have an emergency C-section. At that point, I was past my due date and there wasn't enough fluid to rotate her. Um, so even with the emergency C-section, I have a link on my blog and I can share it for you to put in the show notes. Um, I have a blog on my natural C-section because we did vaginal seeding and inoculation. And so basically I took non-sterile gauze and inserted that vaginally. And as I was going into the operating room, um, we uh, removed that. And then my midwife was um, using the gauze right after she was born um, on all of her orifices. So on her ocular biome, in her mouth, of course, up her nose. Because when a baby is delivered vaginally, that's your initial thumbprint on that child's microbiome. And, um, you know, I mean, there's the eyelids roll back, all that stuff through the canal is getting all up in there um, and so we tried to as best we could mimic that experience um, in the outside world with still at least providing her some of that uh, culture and um, then of course um, right away did chest-to-chest -chest and breastfeeding and so Stella was exclusively breastfed for six months um, I think that that's really important and that, you know, working with a lactation specialist can be a big part of making it a successful process. Um, also having a partner hands-on that can be supportive in the pumping and passing and all the, the process that goes in hand. But I think one of the first issues that we see is children are being introduced to solids too early. 
Um, you know, so there's a lot of signs of readiness, like the pincer grip, um, you know, so being able to like pick up a piece of food and, and do this type of a finger motion, of course, less not having the tongue thrush of the that they do with foods. That's an acceptance or readiness sign of a child to eat solids. But right now, pediatricians are sometimes recommending at the four to six month mark. And I really do recommend exclusively at least six months. Um, and we really started to just introduce solids at like seven months of age, um, starting with avocado. Um, and then from avocado, we brought in wild salmon the third food, well, coconut oil was already in the mix the whole time because I was applying coconut oil everywhere <laughs> on my body throughout like the pregnancy, but also um, to prevent mastitis. So coconut oil has caprylic acid and monolaurin and these antifungal components, which can be very supportive to um, prevent clogged ducts um, when breastfeeding and also can support against like cradle cap and other dysbiosis, candida overgrowth for baby. So um, she was introduced to coconut oil early on because that was on my breast, you know, as she's breastfeeding. So we did um, the avocado, wild salmon, uh, blueberry, and um, roasted sweet potato came in at eight months. So we waited until eight months on the starchy veg. So it was really those three foods with the coconut oil. And um, I did baby led weaning with her. So we didn't do any purees. Um, and really until um, like nine months was she really eating enough calories to stand on her own. I breastfed through that full um, first year. But I think that, that all that part is really important because if you establish a healthy microbiome for your child and they are exclusively breastfed, um, their palate is going to be experienced based on what the mom is eating right away through the breast milk. There's going to be a variance in the flavor profile, especially if mom is eating a lot more like bitter alkaloid foods. I do a lot of cruciferous vegetables, for instance. So she's getting all of that through that process to kind of train um, her palate. And then um, as we incorporated solids, it was just based on her ability to feed and complemented with breast milk for that whole first year. Um, so I think that her palate has always been very savory and, you know, we've expanded things into, um, grass fed meats pretty early on. She was doing within the first year, um, a lot of like grass fed burger patty and meatball stuff where we would incorporate organs so that she would get a lot of nutrient density of B vitamins and nutrients like choline for, um, brain development. And um, she was getting salmon like three to four times a week for the omega-3 fatty acids. And we've just kind of expanded from there. So she right away went for broccoli with the coconut oil and some of those types of things and um, has been doing really well since. Um, she's now four years old and um, she's experienced sugar in the real world. Um, at three, we started her in school. Um, at a Montessori, well, yoga peace school first, and then she went to a Montessori school. Um, and the, the birthday party thing, my husband was like, okay, Allie, what are you going to do? We're in the car ride parking. And he's like, don't be that psycho mom. <laughs> and I was like, because I had a really strong for two years. And the reason of two years is that research supports that the epithelial lining of the gut, 
So when we talk about like leaky gut and we talk about autoimmune disease um, and food sensitivities and allergies, um, it's called the GALT, the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. And this is what resides along our, our gut lining, and that's where the majority of the immune system resides. Well, research shows that it takes that baby two years to really fully get that, that epithelial tissue intact or sealed. And so I'm a very big proponent of 100% grain-free for the first two years of age for that reasoning, um, because grains have lectins and these are anti-nutrients that can be abrasive on the gut they can create a wear and tear which can create more susceptibility to leaky gut um, and this is really a scenario where those tight junctions because of development have not sealed um, and so there could be larger space between these junctions and so larger particles get into the immune system and then that immune system can respond with inflammation um, as if there's like a foreign invader in the body. Um, so I wanted to do tight grain free for the first two years and um, was really diligent about that. So come fast forward, let's say like two and a half, three, I believe, um, was her first birthday party experience and my husband's saying, okay, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to let her like experience it. And then I'm watching the mom take out the Duncan Hines frog. I was like, well, clearly it's like a, you know, I'm sure it's going to be like a healthy cake. And like, oh no, this was like the legit like store-bought gunk with partially hydrogenated oils. And yeah, I feel sugar. like most schools don't even let you bring in homemade stuff anymore. Like it has yeah. to be bought, store-bought. I saw that at my kid's daycare. We're like, if you want to bring a treat for birthday parties, it has to be packaged. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So we were so like, that was okay. her first experience of sugar, yep. like fake processed junk. Yeah. Yep. So this was on the weekend. It was like at a park. So I was watching the mom spread the cake and I'm like, oh my gosh, trying to not have an anxiety attack. And I was like, okay. And so Stella sings and this is her first like experience with peers. And she, um, you know, like kind of, I said, I'm not going to enable her. I'm not going to take the fork and make mm -hmm. scoops and feed it right. to her. Like she's going to figure it out. I might do that with like some spaghetti squash casserole with grass fed beef if she's having a trouble with the texture to help her with the assistance of, of you know, the fork function. But um, I mean, she's so not used to cake as a texture or that dryness that she kind of like does like a thing where she doesn't really dig that texture. And after two bites, she said, no, thanks. Too sweet for me. And went running around. And, and I mean, it's progressively shifted. Um, mm -hmm. She now does, um, we still are grain free. I mean, I, I'm, I do a low carb ketogenic paleo approach to eating. Um, so we really don't have all the flour that we have is almond flour or hazelnut flour or coconut flour in our household. Um, but she does have um, dark, she likes a dark chocolate olive oil ice cream, which is an interesting palette for a four year, you know, again, it's very bitter <laughs> and like very fantastic. It's a grass fed creamery and that's like one of her indulgences. Um, and then we do my low carb chocolate chip cookies very often from the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, which it's a fantastic recipe because it has eggs in there. It has collagen and gelatin for gut support and connective tissue. It has almond flour as the base, coconut oil, coconut butter, almond butter. 
So it's really fat based and has a good source of protein and is very low carb. And really that's kind of the name of the game. There's a balance of keeping inflammatory processed foods out of your kid's diet, but also keeping their blood sugar levels stabilized. And when I think that's the biggest disservice that a parent can do is allow a kid to over abuse carbs because that puts the kid on a roller coaster of blood sugar highs and lows. And that creates, um, you know, behavior jags that can create concentration and focus issues, hyperactivity and, and moods. I mean, it gets hangry, right? We've all experienced that from a blood sugar crash, um, and irritability, short fuse cranky. Um, so I learned very on with blood sugar control Estelle's like we kept um, Peterson's bacon in my diaper bag. So if homegirl was having a little bit of a meltdown, she got two slices of bacon. Um, and we did a I lot bet of the other moms were like, looking at you like, what are you doing? Giving your yeah. kid bacon. It's like, yeah, exactly what you should be doing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, uncured and, uh, you know, a pure protein and bacon's really high in choline as well, which is again, really important vitamin um, in the bee family for, for kids' brains. Um, we did a lot of nut butter packs, like the F-bomb nut butter packs or Artisana, you know, regardless of brand. And so it's the only thing in a pouch, actually, that Stella's ever had is a nut butter pack um, because I'm just not a fan of the other pouches in the sense that they're all, generally speaking, naked carbs, meaning mm -hmm. even if it has kale in it or whatever, it's like an apple, grape juice, something blend, yeah. and it's creating a blood sugar spike. And then there's also the concern about a lot of those pouches having outbreaks of E. coli in the factories and such. And so we just never went that route. The biggest thing was the, the nut butter pack. And so we go for fat and protein at every single setting, um, every single snack. And then she uses carbs from whole food fruits and starchy vegetables predominantly. And then some almond flour based products. Like we do the Simple Mills crackers, which are like the almond flour based um, tapioca starch. Um, and she'll do, I think that's pretty, much, that's pretty much it. And then like the cookies that I make from scratch. Okay, so I have so many follow-up questions. I don't even know where <laughs> to start. Like I'm like tracking all that. So what it sounds like to me is that you're saying you have to kind of start from the beginning and format their palate to mm -hmm. the healthy foods. So you, you start giving them all this stuff. Because I feel like everybody, we all kind of start with the good stuff, right? Nobody just starts giving their kid like sugar or carbs as, like, as first foods. It's always the healthy, the vegetables, the avocado, the bananas, all of that. But then somewhere we go wrong, right? Like yeah. something happens and then it's like all, there's so many things. And then they start eating the standard American diet. So it, it's, it's almost like, you know, we want to do the best that we, we can for our kids, but something gets in the way. What do you think that gets in the way? Why do you think it's so hard for us to, to keep well, our kids eating healthy? I would actually argue that most children's first food is a refined carb and it comes in the form of cereal. Um, I mean, that's the number one recommended food for babies still. And I don't believe that that's nutritionally sound and it sets up their palate appropriate. So whether we're talking about rice cereal oat cereal, you know, that's usually the first recommendation because it's iron fortified. Um, and so I'm a bigger proponent of give them real iron rich foods in that heme form versus the synthetic enrichment, give them salmon, give them grass fed beef, um, and give them egg yolk. Um, those are all really superior forms. So I do think honestly that a lot of kiddos are actually given high carb right off the bat. They're given cereal grains, 
They're given banana mashed into that. And then they're given fruit pouches. And then all those teethers, all of that garbage stuff that their kids are, that parents are throwing at their kids to distract them are just rice puffs. Again, maybe dusting with a color of kale, but very insignificant in the actual nutrient density. And and the concern that I have even further, actually, that's setting up our children for ADHD and neurological issues is when we look at all those foods being synthetically enriched and fortified, all of those foods have folic acid. And that's something that I'm really passionate about with the anti-anxiety diet work you know, 40 to 50% of Americans have an MTHFR gene, and that stands for methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. I know that's really nerdy, but what that does is it regulates your body's excretion or detox processes, and it regulates your body's building processes of making neurotransmitters. And if 40 to 50% of the American population have a genetic mutation on that, that MTHFR gene, if they're given synthetic folic acid, that can actually exacerbate that squeaky wheel. They need the actual methylated folate like we do in our children's multi in my supplement line um, or that is found in liver and leafy greens as the form that's going to help that squeaky wheel to turn. And so if right off the bat, we start giving it, and, and formula is synthetically re-enriched with folic acid. So if right off the bat, we're feeding from infants to, to, to six-month-olds synthetic forms of folic acid, we're teeing up their, them to have a neurological handicap. Yeah. So I guess for me, I didn't know that they still recommended the cereals and all of that because yeah. with both of my daughters... I did not give them any of that crap. And I, we had a, like a holistic pediatrician and she did not ever recommend that either. So I didn't even think that that was still recommended, but okay. That, yeah, that makes sense now why we start them off with that. But I feel like a lot of them, there's a group of moms that really do start off with the healthy stuff, but then like just life happens and we're busy and all of this. So, and then your kids start getting addicted to sugar and carbs so how do we get back to that? Like, is it too late? Because I feel like even for my personal self, I eat keto low carb. That's what I make for my family. But, and I serve it to my kids, but I feel like they're at the point with from the outside world and this and that where they've gotten a taste of it and now their palate has shifted. And now it's very hard for them, for me to get for them to eat healthy. So is it too late? How do we kind of revert them back? Is there still a chance for that? Yeah, I think most definitely. So, you know, it depends on how, how far gone or, you know, where we are with the current diet. But I mean, that's the number one question I get all the time. I, I just did a podcast on specifically ADHD and autism and children. And I had a couple people message me like, oh, but how, my sister-in-law's kids just won't stop eating goldfish. And my answer is stop buying goldfish, stop making goldfish available. They will not starve. And that sounds really harsh, but we're all wired to survive. So you just stop. It doesn't matter. You can be more stubborn than your child. Even a stubborn, stubborn toddler, you can win. And you win because you know with principle you're doing the right thing to nourish their body. And yeah, they are maybe addicted at that point. And maybe they do kick and scream and they protest eating dinner. It's not going to last more than 48 hours. Most definitely is not. Um, And you may need to work negotiation on understanding 
what their choice is and lead with autonomy. I always like leading with autonomy and ownership from the child. Um, and you can start educating them as early as, you know, age two or even prior of which protein would you like, Stella? Would you like the wild salmon or would you like the burger patty? Which vegetable would you like? So you start to teach them these categories of essential need and then you provide them options. You don't say, you never say to a child, doesn't matter if they're 11, it doesn't matter if they're five, what do you want to eat? <laughs> because then you're opening up the door for them to Pizza. say something. Yeah, right. Donuts, ice cream. <laughs> and then you say, oh, well, I'm not going to honor your desire anyway. Too bad we're having this. And then they feel that they're not being heard and they're not being respected. And so you have to provide guided decision processing. So, so what good. would you oh like your protein to be tonight? Mm -hmm. This is what we're eating as a family. I do have that chicken from last night's roasted chicken. And I also have, there's always the backup of a can of tuna. <laughs> That's my backup. There's always a backup of, of you know, skipjack tuna. So right. if, if need be, if we're eating a really spicy curry and, mm -hmm. you know, she's just getting her palate there and, and you know, I, I, that's fine if that's too spicy for her and she takes her no thank you adventure bites then the backup is tuna. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, and, and it's not super exciting, but it's consistent because otherwise you set yourself up to be that short order cook and you're not helping them to expand their palate. They need to be challenged to really appreciate the variance of flavors. And as they grow beyond the guided decisions, you have conversations. Like we're not allowed in our household to say yuck. Um, it's, it's, something that she's heard from school, unfortunately, and sometimes we'll say, and I'll, I'll pause and I'll say, oh, you know, that does not really mean anything. It, it doesn't tell me anything about what that tastes like to you. Is it too bitter? What's bitter? Bitter is like, um, you know, remember when we had that um, cucumber skin and you thought that tastes different than the cooling cucumber? That's kind of bitter. Or is it too sour? You know, like lemon is sour. And we have, we will dig through and talk through, is it too crunchy? And so if they can't come up with a reason why, sometimes they'll just start eating it because they're exhausted in the process. <laughs> they're like, I don't know why I don't like it. I'll just eat it, mom. <laughs> Leave me alone. Um, but it's really funny because working that process and trying to understand with them, then they feel heard. And I think that at any age that we want to be heard and respected and honored. And so we need to ensure the way that we present them with the opportunity is something that is a win-win. Um, and again, that comes with a sense of, of kind of honing in on different categories. So same thing with vegetables, like you might work with your kid and use a taste adventure chart where you say, okay, we have four vegetables that we are awesome with. We do really well with broccoli, green beans, um, you know, raw cucumber slices and bell pepper. But, you know, we're kind of in a rut, let's say, of that. And when the family makes other things, I have to always cut them cucumber or whatever. Um, then you can work with your child on that and, and be very open about that of, hey, you know, let's look at, let's go grocery shopping together, go to the farmer's market, and let's talk about all the different vegetables that we know. Have you tried that? What do you think it tastes like? Um, did you like the way mom made it when I roasted it? Did you like the crunchiness about it? Should I blend it like it's a mashed potato? Would that be fun? Could we, and you, you involve them in that process, and even better if you can involve them in the preparation because then they have pride and a sense of ownership and they're going to be so much more bought in to the eating experience. That's amazing. I never even thought about that. Like really getting them involved. Like I, I have my daughter help me prep food. She's four. And so she does little things. And I feel like when she is involved, she'll be more likely to eat it. 
But I never really asked like, hey, these are the options. Which one do you want? I just like, what do you want to eat? And it's always just like junk food. I'm like, we don't have that. We're not, no, we're not doing that. But then it's also like, my husband doesn't listen to my podcast. Thank God. So I'm going to say this, but <laughs> how do you deal with conflicting opinions from your yeah. spouse? Because I am very much like, I will like strip everything cold Turkey. We don't have anything in the house and we usually don't, but then it somehow sneaks in or they ask for something and they're like, okay, fine. You know, pizza on a Friday, five guys, whatever. And how do you get on the same page? Cause I feel like Sometimes I feel like, am I being too harsh and strict where he's like, well, they're kids and kids are going to eat that and, and all of this. How do you get on the same page with your spouse with that? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I am lucky in the sense that um, my husband was an organic farmer and so he has a pretty deep appreciation and understanding for food. And, um, you know, I've been at this for 15 years as a career. And so <laughs> he's yeah. kind of had to, to just understand and ride the waves. But with that being said, um, when we brought our daughter into the picture, because it was always like, he's always going to eat what I put on the table, but he might, who knows what he does when I'm not around, <laughs> like, you know, on his own choices with guy friends and whatnot. Um, but uh, with our daughter, he did, it was interesting, have the issue of like, she could be missing out like, oh, well, but, 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 you know, she needs to try it. And, and, and so we would just have these like pauses and discussions of, well, why, what would that do for her? What would that provide for her? Is that going to honor her? You know, what influence is that going to have on her body and its blood sugar response, um, on her gut. And what's really wild is like, like he, um, is really into our compromises, like RX bars. Like he wants her to be able to have a packaged product because he feels, I don't know if he feels that's American or whatever it is. Like he's like, yeah, I get whole foods, but like she needs, she needs to have something that she can open or whatever. And so, you know, an RX bar is like nuts, dates, and um, sometimes an extra ingredient, like a berry or something like that, but pretty clean, you know, good, better, best in the sense. Um, whereas I would probably literally prefer to her to have pistachios and frozen grapes if I was to choose, you know, beyond an RX bar. Um, so we just do, we kind of negotiate and work through the, like, what part of it are you trying to make happen? The thing that he's really respectful of because he's had to deal with a meltdown and thank God he was there. <laughs> um, we went to a birthday party when she was probably six months after the one I just told you about. And um, she had, they got gluten-free pizza. It was at a, again, like a leaps and bounds kind of place. And so the mom looks at me and like, Oh, I know Stella doesn't do gluten. So we got this special gluten-free pizza for her. So of course I'm like, well, I'll let her experience that with the kids. And so she has two slices. They were small, but like of cheese, gluten-free pizza and lemonade. And then also part of a gluten-free cupcake. And we don't do any liquid sugar beverages other than a smoothie, which we make really balanced in our house. Um, and I think she had two refills of lemonade and homegirl was, we had to go to crate and barrel and I kid you not, we should have been on a sitcom because she was playing with these. It was like over Christmas time and she was playing with these reindeer and hitting them off the shelves. And like, I mean, it was wow. literally like a Tasmanian devil, like going crate. And my husband looked at me and he goes, Oh, the lemonade. Isn't that insane? <laughs> like, was, and this is how kids act every single day. Yeah. Normally, like, and like people are wondering, like, why are my kids so crazy? They're driving me crazy. Why don't they settle down? Oh, maybe it's the food that they're eating, right? Or the drink, so, the juice. So it's a catch twenty two because that's kind of that whole 
question of what is food freedom? So are you providing food freedom by letting your kids all foods fit, have everything because it's food? Or are you not providing them freedom? You're doing a disservice to the child because what happened was she had a timeout. She lost her Paw Patrol guys and she was crying and she was saying, why did I do that? Why was I running like that? Like, you know, like she had a really hard time. She didn't know why she was acting so out of sorts and she had guilt and shame. And I think ultimately the human experience to go through a rage like behavior like that and then deal with punishment, guilt, shame is less freedom than, you know, navigating foods, feeling balanced with your mood and not experiencing those negative emotions. Um, and, and not that I was provoking shame. I think she personally felt embarrassed by her behavior. You know, um, I mean, we were freaking out. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I think that's the thing is we think we're providing them opportunity to eat all the things. And then we watch them stumble and trip and fall and we do it again. It's like rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Yeah. We say that that's just normal. That's just normal. That's how kids act. And, and I don't agree with that because I also see a difference between how my kids act depending on how much sugar they've eaten. And, Uh And it's, it's like night and day, but I don't think people think about that. I think that they just think it's normal kids being kids. Right. Right. And, 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 um, I mean, their bodies are tiny. And, and so, you know, she was probably 30. It doesn't take a lot. 32 pounds at that time. Right. right. And I mean, a cup of lemonade, that would yeah. be equivalent to me, like housing a 12 pack of donuts, you know, right. and I'd probably be feeling super right. crazy as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're really doing a, a disservice when we say all foods fit or, you know, we should normalize their choices. And it goes even furthermore when we're feeding them chemical shit storms, which aren't even foods. Because mm-hmm. there's one thing for them to have access to foods, to have blood sugar dysregulation, and that be a stressor to their system. It's another thing to be putting things in the body that don't belong in the human body and thinking that we're doing any form of a service for them because we're just handcuffing them to big pharma for the rest of their life, essentially, by driving dysfunction in their system. I just don't believe that there's a place for processed chemical ingredients. Um, Yeah, I agree. I hate, it drives me crazy when people say like, it's all food is food. There is no bad food and there is no good food. I was like, that's not food though. You can't call that food. I'm sorry. If it's made in a lab with ingredients that can outlast a war, that ain't food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't call that food. And Most definitely. I definitely I agree 100%. And I feel like it's also about finding that balance of having them discover it on their own, right? Like you said, Stella experienced that. And she's like, whoa, why was I doing that? Why did I act like that? And it's like, maybe it takes a couple of times for them to experience it because you don't want to like shield them and be like, you're not allowed to have sugar. You're not allowed to have any carbs. That's what my parents did growing up just because we grew up in a culture where we didn't eat any junk food. Like I grew up Ukrainian, so it was like always homemade. It wasn't the healthiest stuff. But, you know, none of the junk food was allowed. And I found myself at 13 and, yeah, and 13 and 14 going insane. I would buy a 24-pack of Mountain Dew and keep it in my trunk and chips and Reese's for days. And I binged on that because I was not allowed to ever have it. Yeah. Like, yeah. where do you find that balance where you let them try it out? Like, for instance, I would love for you to talk about how you do Halloween because I watched you on your stories and I was like – what that was magical. How did she do that? And like, how did you get to that point? Pretty much you went, you had her, you let her have the experience of going trick or treating, 
but the way you approached her eating all that, can you please share that? Because that was just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have to talk naked carbs too. Um, so yeah, so for Halloween, um, we, she was Simba and had the best time ever and, you know, did the whole experience of ringing the doorbell and getting all the stuff. And even preceding that, actually, we had been to a, cause, cause generally she is quite sheltered in the sense that like we shop at the farmer's market or at Whole Foods. So like she isn't exposed to a lot of the character food stuff. Um, like we'll see with like general mills or, you know, there's like the Paw Patrol gummy snacks right. and all these types yeah. of marketed kids foods. The ones that they want. Oh, frozen. I have to have that. Yes. So I started teaching her probably too young um, that if it has a character, it's not real food. And so she like gets really, and she's just a funny little diva chick. Who knows if my next kid's going to fall in suit, right? But um, she does that where she'll say, oh, look, look, that's, you know, yeah, that's Anna, that's Elsa. Oh, look at silly Olaf on that thing. But that must not be real food, mom. And I always say, I'm like, if they have to advertise for you, that's more of a toy. And like, you can play with toys, but we don't put toys in our body, Stella. That's weird. Like, that's how I explain it to her. I just say, if that has a toy on it, then that's not a food. Like, look at broccoli. Broccoli doesn't have a toy on it, you know, and we just kind of talk like that. And um, so when we went trick or treating, and we gathered all the candy. She was like, okay, so like, let's figure out like if, if any of them are clean. And my husband had got her a couple bars of dark chocolate and one, like, I think it was a Justin's almond butter cup, which I'm not a huge fan of, but good, better, best, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and so that was like the big indulgence, the Justin's cup thing. And so um, he's like, well, look, Stella, like this we have, which is, you know, this and that. And um, we looked at the ingredients on some of the, um, candy. And I said, well, you know, I had told her a couple days ago about the switch, witch, and the switch, witch comes to when you put your candy on the stairs, um, when you go to sleep on Halloween night, the switch, witch switches it out with cleaner candy. That's good for your body. And instead of candy that you eat and disappears, you get to swap it out for an upgraded toy. And so she's like, what? And so she has, actually, it's on my Instagram stories. Um, I think it's in her two plus reel because the three-year-old reel, or maybe it was in the three-year-old reel. I don't know. Um, when did yeah. you start doing this? At, at age two. Okay. At age, at age two, two, she didn't really get it. Age two was just like the switch, which, and so age three, she was already like, oh yeah, the switch, which like she kind of got into it. Um, but I do, I think there needs to be like a story written about it for kids so that you can get them prompted early October. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't even remember what trinket we traded out for, but probably a 15 to $20 target toy of sorts. And she's super pumped. And now we play Halloween all the time where she'll take little, you know, trinkets and, and, and dress up in costumes at the house and say trick or treat. And then she'll be like, okay, I'm taking all the guys to bring them to the switch, witch. and then she'll switch the little trinkets out for something bigger too. And she totally gets the process. Um, yeah, you were saying like that the other candy's going to the goblins or something like that. Yeah, like the, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to try something like that. I don't know if it'll work <laughs> for my four-year-old, but we'll have to figure something out. So there's so many things that I, we could talk about with the kids and healthy eating, but to wrap up, there's just a couple questions that I want to ask you for moms that are listening, that are at the point that they're like, I really want my kids to eat healthy, but I feel like it's too late for me. They're addicted to sugar, carbs, all the crap. Where do they start? What are some steps that you can give them to yeah. kind of start off? Do they wean off? Do they go cold turkey? What would you recommend? 
So the most important thing I think is no naked carbs. So you can start them with every time they have a carbohydrate food, adding a protein or a fat. So if they are eating still like a puff or like a, um, a goldfish cracker or something like that, that's like a refined processed carb, you can half that portion and then add in a organic cheese stick or cut up a grass-fed chomps meat stick with that. Or you can um, add in some nuts or seeds. And so you're adding protein or fat and starting to blunt the impact of that blood sugar spike. And then that can happen with whole foods too. Like we would never do just a plain apple or her to have an, a, an entire banana on its own. Um, we're always ensuring that we have that pairing. And you educate them in that process. So literally, Stella will, she's prone to wanting fruit, you know, fruit is for her palate, the most exciting thing out there. And, and it's because it's sweet, but she's prone to say, okay, and for my protein, I'd like this, or for my, my fat, I'd like this. And she'll order it like to us, you know, or we have a, a snack bin that's reachable for her. And, um, you know, she'll specifically call out the, okay, for my protein or fat. So when you explain that to kids and you can do that very early on, the fruit is the carb or the XYZ is the carb and we need a protein or a fat because it has to sit like a lid on a jar. If we didn't have a lid on our jar, everything would spill. And when things spill, we don't have any energy. So we need to put a lid on the jar and that's what we choose. And with kids as they get older, you could use really engaging materials where you even take a piece of loose leaf and you draw different proteins and you have a different one of, of um, healthy fats and you put them on the fridge so every time they want a carb, you say, go, go pick from your list. What do you want as your protein or your fat? And then they pick one. Okay. Almond butter. Great. Let me give you a big tablespoon of almond butter. And, and you know, whether you eat that with a spoon or you dip your apple slices in that, that's fine. And, and they'll start to connect that dots of that lid on the jar thing. It's a very tangible, easy to relate thing. And then, um, the next step I would say is just make sure that they have a protein at all meals. Um, so if it's easier for them to do like the nut butters at first and such, um, really the first meal of the day, kids need 10 to 15 grams of protein. So if that's Greek yogurt or that scrambled eggs, um, you know, or you're doing a smoothie before they go out the door and using grass fed whey protein, um, really getting 15 grams starting at age four is a, a good, um, minimum need. And then when we're talking about in the form of ounces of meat, each ounce of protein is seven grams. So it might be like two ounces of a turkey patty that you bake a, a, a pan sheet of them and you do two ounces of that that you cut up. So it's like little like chunks of like, you know, turkey sausage. And they do that with uh, fresh fruit and nut butter. And that's on their way to school because they're on an egg jag and that's okay. Um, and so, you know, really empowering them with their protein choice. And then as they become more in tune to that, you educate them further on why. Um, well, yeah, you know, we want that protein because the protein is what helps you to grow big and strong. That's what your muscles, your muscles hold your protein in your body and protein helps your immune system. And, and so you give them little nuggets to empower them on the whys. And I think that truly, if you stick with whole single ingredient foods, they're much more adaptable than adults are. They don't have 30, 40 years of, you know, food drama and trauma in their bank account. And, um, I, I think that really the big thing is empowerment and autonomy instead of shame and restriction. And, and so you can empower them on why we don't eat what Susie Q at school, eat. you know, like, oh, well, Susie always has the Lunchable packs or the XYZ. I want that. 
you can look at it with them and educate them through it, but, but without judgment and shame, like, oh, you know, see this word here and they can't even read it at four, right? But you can show them a long word. This is not a, a, an ingredient that is going to help our body. This is going to confuse our body and it's not going to support X, Y, Z. And um, I mean, I think it's remarkable how if you empower them, engaged they will be. So how do you deal with things like um, parties, school events, stuff like that? What would you recommend that moms do when they're trying to get their kids away from always eating the cupcakes and the pizza and yeah. all of that? So school, we do um, pre, we have pre-made bags that the teacher keeps in the classroom um, for the just in case, but we ask to be notified if there is a special birthday. Um, and we have a, a, a restaurant in our area. It's a paleo restaurant called Picnic. Picnic makes like that creamer that a lot of people know about. Um, and they do a blondie, which is like a almond butter based chocolate chip kind of thing. And so that's like her indulgence. If there is a treat, like if we get a call or an email that says Kevin's having a birthday treat on Thursday, then, then we, we drop her off one of those. But we always have on call or on backup baggies of a blend of dried mango with a seed because her school's not free. So we have sunflower seeds in there and pumpkin seeds. And then um, like five to eight of the Who Kitchen gems um, which is something that she wouldn't get. She doesn't get like a chocolate chunk. It's like a chocolate chip, but without soy lecithin. Um, and so that's a like, she feels really pumped about it at this point. And I think it'll be a continued negotiation of, you know, she's had four of those bags and I think two blondies in this school year. And I, I always ask her, I'm like, oh, like she'll be like, I had a blondie today and gets all pumped. Um, and I'll ask her, I'll be like, oh, so was it someone's birthday? How was it? Did everyone else eat the cake? How did you feel eating your whatever? And like so far, you know, we're trying to, to work with her in it where if she asks us, then we can have that conversation because I really do feel at age four, we've made it past that tight two years of the gut integrity that if she truly wanted to advocate for herself and say, I feel left out when, or my feel, you know, I, I want to do X, Y, Z. But until that moment happens, I'm not going to perceive that she's being left out or project emotions that she may not even be having when she's just happy doing her little thing over here. I'm not going to yeah. normalize her. That doesn't benefit her in any way. Yeah. Cause I feel like you, is there a point where she will feel left out or the other kids might like make fun of her or something like that? It's just like, where do you get to that place where, you know, she's okay with it now. She's so excited. That's great. And maybe it's just like, you just keep that momentum going and she'll be old enough. She'd be like, I don't even want that. But there's also that, I feel like what my husband would say, like, she's going to look like the weirdo and the left out kid, not eating that, eating this type of food. And so it's like, how do you get to that place? Right. And then I think you just communicate with the teacher as well. Like, you know, so that's what we'll do too. We'll kind of like check in at drop off and be like, how'd it go? Whatever. And they'll, oh, she's totally fine. She's cool. Um, and so, like I said, I think it's a disservice. So you're saying it's not that big of a deal if they right, eat yeah. all the cupcakes at school. I think it's a disservice for the parent to, like I said, project their perceived emotions of what the child may experience because the child may be their own badass and they might be like, Psh, those, I ran faster at recess than all those kids because I felt good. Right. She will comment on, oh, we have a book that we read called The Buddies in Our Belly. Um, and it's all about the microbiome and it talks about Biffy, the bifidobacteria and, and streppy and um, lacti and it's really cute. They're all personified and it talks about when you feed the buddies in your belly good things and when you feed the buddies in your belly high sugar things, what happens. 
And um, she even will joke around, um, Becky, who's the co-host of my podcast, if her husband, Byron and Brady, will do something with gluten, she'll be like, oh, did you guys eat the glutens? And she like gets on that. She thinks it's so funny. She'll be like, that is oh. so cute. What's that name of the book again? I need to get it. The buddies in my belly. The butt. Oh my gosh. I have to get that. Yeah. And she like literally, I mean, she thinks it's hilarious. And I mean, all kids think poop is funny and I always yeah. discourage bathroom behavior and conversations, <laughs> but she will like, if she's at grandma and grandpa's or she has that olive oil chocolate ice cream and maybe she didn't have enough protein or, you know, she did her bunless burger, but she had sweet potato fries and that she'll say, Oh mom, the buddy's in my belly. And like, so she connects the dots of, mm -hmm. of what does what. Yeah. Um, and I don't perceive, I don't push that on her. I don't say like, Oh, you ate sugar. How do you feel? Do you feel weird? You know, I just, I just, I just let it happen and watch. Mm -hmm. and, oh, that's interesting. Wow. Okay. Let's see what happens next time. Um, or, Oh, maybe, so maybe it's too much to do sweet potato fries and that ice cream, maybe one or the other next time. Right. And then she'll be like, okay. Um, and, and so it's just a constant exploration and I think you have to just ask open-ended questions and let them guide in many ways. Um, but you're there to support, to create the infrastructure or the, like I said, choose your own adventure of the, the swing. It's not this free range, what do you want to eat? It's of this, what feels right to you. And because you did that, how is your body responding? Mm -hmm. And the final question is supplementation. So I know you kind of have like a kid's line now. I want to ask for those kids that maybe don't have the best diet, should we be supplementing? What is required? And then I want to ask you about constipation. So I've been having that issue with my three-year-old. Yeah, that's great. So I think that, yes, all children should be on a multivitamin. I don't like fortified foods, as I mentioned, because it's the synthetic crappy form. Um, but we have a multivitamin called Multi-Avail Kids, and it's fantastic. It has the methylated folate. It has all of the minerals in a chelated form, and it has uh, much more nutrient density than most child um, you know, supplements on the market have. Um, and that's a chewable tablet. So I, I do. She does two of those a day. Um, I think probiotics are fantastic. So if your child is not eating a probiotic-rich food daily, especially with everything um, going into cold and flu season already on our heels and still, you know, the pandemic and whatnot, um, I think that probiotics are really important, especially because, you know, we're not seeing children get affected by the COVID virus as much as cold and flu, actually. Flu is more severe on children. But my concern is the sterility in the classroom environment and that sterilizing their microbiome um, because there's so many more um, amounts of disinfectants being used. So, you know, you use your good gut bacteria to aid in bowel motility and also in formation. And so um, I have a really fantastic blend of a bif bifido and lacto. Um, it's called Kids Biotic. Um, and it's a grape chewable. Uh, I would check, I don't know what probiotic you had used, but you know, you really want to have in the billions range of colony forming units and lacto and bifido are the two most well-researched strains. So these are things you could look into. Um, getting enough B vitamins in a supplemental form, which would come in the multi, B vitamins give us a neurological impulse. So that can move the peristalsis or the pumping of the fecal matter down into the intestines. Um, and then fiber um, and fluid 
Um, so if she's eating a high fiber diet, maybe with a clean paleo diet, but not drinking enough water, then the fiber can become a broom versus, excuse me, a brick versus a broom. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of holds in the system and doesn't have that, that hydration to move it along. Um, so really encouraging water drinking throughout the day. My daughter loves kombucha. Mm. Um, so she does, she does her probiotic and she eats yogurt most days and has kombucha. Like she would drink kombucha every day, but we try to keep it to like four times as more of like a treat with dinner. Mm -hmm. Um, if my husband are having, which flavor do you, which flavor does she like? He likes the Buddha's brew blueberry ginger. Okay. I gotta try it and see if my daughters would like that. Cause she I love it. kombucha. And that's the only beverage she's had other than a smoothie and water. Um, mm -hmm. and so she thinks it's like the coolest thing. So she does get a pretty hefty amount of, um, bacterial support and, she has really fantastic bowels. Now you can take it a step further. And I have on my blog, um, a coconut oil apricot or coconut oil prune puree, mm -hmm. which is really great for kids that struggle with constipation. Um, it's fantastic, uh, tasting and it does help with that osmolality and that flushing. Um, I'm not a fan of, and I think it's really scary that pediatricians are putting kiddos on Miralax, which has not been approved by the FDA for ages under 17, Yet there's so many pediatricians that put kids on it, and um, the propylene ethyl glycanol, um, the one of the ingredients in there, um, has been shown to have really severe neurological impacts. And so there's um, a children's hospital right now in Pennsylvania doing research on it, and there's been a lot of safety recalls. So I just would call that out to moms. Oh. You know, it seems like a safe over-the-counter option to just throw some Miralax into things. But it's, it's really not recommended for children. And, and honestly, I would say even for adults, um, when you can work more with whole foods, um, if need be anything, you could play with um, my Relax and Regulate, which is a magnesium bisglycinate. Mm -hmm. And that will bring in with toddlers and, and works really beautifully as well, just to kind of get the ball rolling. So Mag I was check that out because, yeah, I know a lot of moms struggle with the constipation. And I'm yeah. like, what are you talking about? My first one was totally fine. And this one is just such a struggle. I feel so bad for her. And yeah, I give her and fiber, but I don't know if it yeah, like, gets stuck. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the, the brick thing. And so, you know, like belly rubbing too is good. And, you know, like when they're babes doing the bicycle leg kind of thing. Yeah. But a yeah. lot of that can be really helpful as well. Um, and, uh, I have a, we just relaunched my YouTube channel. So it's naturally nourished on YouTube and we have a video coming out specifically where I make that puree in the oh, video. Cool. Yeah, I subscribe to it. So I'm going to get a notification. Good. Yeah. So <laughs> coming in like, uh, probably mid September or something like that. Awesome. So, so. so great. So many great things. I want to thank you for coming on. Where can our listeners find you? Let us know all your links, um, your YouTube channel, all the things. Yeah. So we keep it pretty simple. Everything's Allie Miller RD. So on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, it's just at Allie Miller RD, which is A-L-I-M-I-L-L-E-R-R-D. Um, my books and programs and supplement line is all at AllieMillerRD.com. Um, and then I have a podcast as well. Uh, we have over 200 episodes. Uh, that's housed on NaturallyNourishedRD.com. Um, but if you put an Allie Miller podcast, it'll come up as well on Google. And um, you can search by topic for that. We have really everything under the sun from insomnia to PCOS to, um, I have a couple episodes on kids eating, like, um, being a taste adventurer and so much more. So hopefully y'all enjoy discovering what we have out there. 
Yeah, we'll put everything in the show notes so the listeners can find you. Make sure you're following her on Instagram too so you can see what Stella eats. She's so adorable. I just, I love watching her. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to the Fit Mom Squad podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Don't forget to tag me at BSB Tribe. If you want even more resources, make sure to go to www.bsbtribe.com and head on over to a private community on Facebook, Fit Mom Squad, so that you can get connected with other moms who are crushing their health goals. I can't wait to see you on the inside. Until next time, keep focused on your goals, mama.